Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Yeah, so again, I just feel the Lord is really priming us and encouraging us. Um, I don't know how, so he's grooming us, I feel like, to, uh, to, to, for this week and for this just consistent going out as a people. We really learned how to go in in the prayer room, and this is the next part. Um, we've just got done speaking about Pentecost for a few weeks, and then the last two weeks specifically, just talking about Pentecostal power and how it's coupled with evangelism. And it's so important. We're going to talk more about that, I think, in next week and weeks to come before we go out. Um, but I do want to, I want to still speak into evangelism, but take a little bit different route. But nevertheless, I just feel it's like another layer that's going to really encourage us for what we're doing. Um, how, let me say this. How many of you uh, feel called to ministry? Okay, that's a trick question because every hand should go up. <laughs> um, no, but really, I want you to know that every single person here is called to ministry. The overwhelming majority of those of you in this room are called to the marketplace or you're called to home. Um, very few are going to be called to vocational ministry, like in the organized side of the church. But everyone is called to ministry. And when you look scripturally, you'll find that there are a number of ministries that we are all called to. Uh, actually, I don't know if you know, but beholding the face of Jesus, uh, we behold the glory of God. Paul says, and having this ministry, we do not lose heart. That's one of our ministries is to look at Jesus, right? To grow in the knowledge of God. But another ministry that we have is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of reconciliation. And I want us to see that all of us have been called into this and that when we go out to evangelize, one of the things that we're doing is we're coming under the ministry of reconciliation, which is in short, the fact that God has done everything to remove the barrier between us and him, that people can come and be restored into union with him. Eden has been opened back up. Man can have fellowship with God again. Uh, evangelism is so much more than us trying to get a few more visitors on a, to a Sunday experience. We want people a part of the community, which comes with, and what comes with that is Sundays like this. But ultimately, we are, we're inviting people to get reconnected with their father. And for me, for a long time, my thought was that Jesus came and manifested on the earth in order to plead our case against an angry father. <laughs> that is not what Jesus has come to do. Jesus came to actually reveal the will of a father who is passionately pursuing his people. We're going to see that more and more today, but Jesus came to actually be the expression of the father's heart and say, the father has opened the door for you to come back home. And we have the privilege of those who have been reconciled in the faith in the Lord, we have the privilege to now be reconcilers. We have the privilege to go out and lead others uh, into the same thing that we've experienced. Because right now when I look around at the devastating effects and things that are going on in our culture and our nation, I believe it can just start right here. People are cut off from their creator and their hearts are longing to know him. And we have the glorious news to say not, I'm going to share this in, in a little bit, but it's the ministry of reconciliation. The message is not you need to make peace with God. The message is God has made peace with man. This is radically different. We're not saying you need to do what you need to do to get right with God. The, the beautiful news is God has done everything so that you can know him. The door has been opened up and everything you've been longing for and every identity issue and purpose issue stems from you not knowing your creator and you can be reconciled to him. Amen? So I, I just feel today the Lord, again, is just going to encourage us. Um, one of the things I think that he's going to encourage us by is 
to get connected with the larger vision. In other words, what really helps me sometimes whenever I do anything in the Lord is to see how this fits into the bigger story. Like when we go out and evangelize and we are coming as ministers of reconciliation, we're going to see today that there is a cosmic reconciliation that's going on. (laughs) That all things in heaven and earth right now are being reconciled by Jesus and being made new. Our lives, our little lives are a part of that story and we get to go out under this larger grand story where everything now that's being touched by the Lord is being restored and revived and refreshed. It's very, very encouraging. And the other thing too is I, I, I feel the Lord, there's twofold things. I, I feel like he's going to train us theologically today. Like we're going to understand what it means, ministry of reconciliation, to see that bigger vision, to say, wow, this is what we've been grafted into. But I do believe the Lord's going to also give us a heart level training, meaning I don't want to just know like the ABCs of it. I want that. But I also, I think the Lord is going to really awaken us, revive us, remind us of what he's done in our lives how he has reconciled us, and that we, from that place, get to be agents of reconciliation. This is always the way, we talk about this a lot, this is always the way to grow in things in the Lord. It's not by you trying harder, you actually first receive it from the Lord. So if we're going to be burdened with others being restored to the Lord, I believe God wants to awaken us to what he has actually done in reconciling us to him. And... um, and in that, we find grace. We find a strength to go out and, uh, and preach the gospel. So today, uh, I'll have a twofold. We're going to see this big vision, and then I really feel like we're going to kind of share the gospel through the ministry of reconciliation and just have our hearts encouraged by what God's done in our life, all right? And uh, it's just going to prepare us even more for what we're stepping into in the next few weeks. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. I love all the different imageries of the, of the church, but I really feel like these, these last few weeks, it's been like a, an army in training, where it's like every week, it's like God just like speaking something that's just stirring our hearts to, to, as we go. Uh, he's equipping us, giving us different, different ammunition, if you would. So we're going to look at two passages today. We're going to look at Colossians 1, uh, specifically verses 15 to 22, and then we're going to bounce into... 2 Corinthians, in in Colossians 1, we're going to really see this, again, it's so amazing. There is this global cosmic reconciliation that's happening. Revelation 21.5 is still like deep in my heart. Behold, I make all things new. Guys, that has started. We're going to see it. Jesus is the firstborn of this new thing. We've been grafted into it. We get to go out and declare to the world. Everything's being made new when you get reconciled to him. Uh, And then we'll look at 2 Corinthians, which gets a little more personal. All right, Um, last thing I'll share before we read these verses, I've got to force myself to pull back when we go into this text because it is such a rich text. Um, Verses 15 to verse 20 specifically in Colossians 1, it's widely regarded and recognized as the greatest Christological passage, meaning this is so, this passage oozes with glory, his brilliance, his beauty, And I'm saying that because we're going to brush over a lot of these things today because that's not my main point. But I encourage you to go back. Um, I always say this with this passage. If ever you feel like your heart is getting cold or dull to the Lord, come back to this passage right here. Give some long and loving meditation to it. And I promise you, your heart will be warmed with encouragement when you begin to see who he is. All right. So here's the big picture that I want you to see. 
because this is really the main point I'm going to highlight, is that this, this section, verses 15 to 20 specifically, it's actually written as, some say a poem, some say as a hymn, but, it, but it's rhythmically balanced, meaning there's actually two pieces and they, they complement each other perfectly. And the way the two sections are separated is by this statement, firstborn. So one section is Christ is the firstborn over creation. The next section is he's the firstborn from the dead. So this is this flow, there's two passages, and the whole idea is he's Lord over creation, he's Lord over new creation. And what that tells us about Christianity is that the center of Christianity is not a code of ethics, it is not merely a religious system, but the center of Christianity is a man, a God-man, who is Lord over everything. Jesus is not one of many gods, he is not one of many paths, he is transcendent, he is a cosmic king. He's Lord over original creation. He's Lord over new creation. He's making all things new. Amen? All right, so let's read this. Again, I'm only highlighting one really key piece. Verse 15 says he, again, Colossians 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation or over all creation. Okay, let me just pause on this. This does not mean that Jesus is a part of the created order. This does not mean that he was the first, like, original member of creation. Jesus comes before. All things are made by him, through him, for him. Uh, he comes before all things. What this is saying, the firstborn, it's a title that signifies a unique position of status, rank, power, favor, blessing. For example, God told through Moses to Pharaoh, Israel, Israel is my firstborn meaning they hold a unique position of favor, blessing, inheritance. That's who Jesus is. God also said in Psalm 89 about David, verse 27, he says, I have made David my firstborn. He is the highest of the kings of the earth. Firstborn speaks to this supreme title. So when it says Jesus is the firstborn over creation, not that he's a part of it, not that he was created, he's the eternally begotten son, but that he is Lord over everything. There's no one like him. He transcends it. He is supreme in rank, position, status, favor, blessing. So he's the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. All right, there's a lot there that we're not getting into. But he's firstborn over original creation. He's Lord of original creation. Now look at verse 18. This is the key for us today. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, it says he's the firstborn from the dead. What does that imply? That implies that he had to die and resurrect. So this is talking about his resurrection. But between those two statements, firstborn of creation, firstborn from the dead, there is so much that happens that's not being listed here. But it's critical that we get it because it applies to our life, how we're being made new and to the ministry of reconciliation. So what had happened from the firstborn of creation to now he must be the firstborn from the dead? What has entered into this world that would cause him to have to die and resurrect? And the simple answer is sin. So sin enters in and sin, literally everything it touches, it corrupts. It's, it produces death and decay. The, the picture I have of it is almost an oil spill in the ocean. 
everything it touches, it, it, it clings to, it taints, it poisons, it permeates, it corrupts, right? The problem now is man has a sinful nature. Everything's been corrupted by sin. Why am I sharing that? Because we did not need merely external arrangements of our life. Because of the power of sin and what it did and how it actually came on the inside and touched everything and affected everything, we didn't just need to change our behavior a little bit. We didn't just need to have some reordering on the outside. We actually needed a fresh start. Creation had been so tainted that we actually needed a rebirthing. We needed to be born again. That's, that's the point here is that we didn't just need new information. We didn't just need like some new language. We actually had to have the whole thing restarted. So what happened? The Lord of creation entered into creation and entered into a world that was plagued by sin and death and everything else. And he actually bore our sin. He shared in our grief and our sorrows. In every way, he became like us. And he allowed sin. Here's the thing. Sin, sin's worst effect is death. So by dying, Jesus exhausts the power of sin. By dying, he says, let sin do its worst. And he drains it of its power. And then he resurrects as the firstborn from the dead. And with that, a new man emerges. A new humanity emerges. He's actually recreated something that everyone that follows after, you're not just again going to church now on Sundays. You are a new creation. God has fundamentally changed us from the inside out. And it says he is the firstborn. A new humanity emerged from the old one. He had to come, though, and let it do its worst, then put it in the grave. Actually, he put it on a cross, then he put it in the grave, then he took it down to Hades. And then when he emerged from it, he cracks open the tomb, ascends it to the right hand of the Father, and says, I'm the firstborn of many to follow. He, we've never seen anything like this, a man born of the Spirit like this. He is, firstborn means he's the founder of something. He's the pioneer of something. What is it? It's a new humanity. It's a new creation. He is the first fruits, and it has started, guys. <laughs> this is an incredible thing. With his resurrection, hear this. This is so encouraging. The Jewish belief of the resurrection is most believe that there was a resurrection. Do you remember Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to Martha and says, your brother will live and says, I know he'll live. He'll live at the resurrection at the last day. The Jews believed in a resurrection. The issue was that they believed it was a universal, one-time resurrection at the end of the age. That's what their hope was for. When Jesus resurrected in their present day, it shattered every paradigm. Because what it said was our future hope has broken into our now. The thing we were waiting for, it started. The age to come is now here today. And with that, he has brought the power of that age, which is resurrection power, so that everyone that encounters and comes into him, the new power is touching life, and they're being resurrected. It's being made new. Everything is being made new. Are you in Christ? We're going to see in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you are a new creation. God has made you new. So Jesus is the firstborn over creation, comes into the earth, and now he is the firstborn over new creation. Amen? Amen? Let's look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. There it is. And through him 
All things are being reconciled. What things? Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So sin touches everything, affects it. Jesus breaks the cycle of sin and starts a new cycle of righteousness now. And everything that is in Christ is being made new. Again, I put before you Revelation 21.5. Behold, I make all things new. Guys, when Jesus rose from the dead, it started. It has started. And mine, your life, is a part of that. But all things, it's not just individual lives, whether in heaven or on earth. Everything is going to be reconciled to this man, Jesus. On a cosmic level, on a global level. This means cities will be transformed. Land's going to be transformed. Everything that sin shattered, and ultimately because it was separated from God, now through the blood of Christ, it's being brought back into fellowship with God. Imagine that every relationship, every relation, everything that was touched and corrupted by sin, it's all being restored through one common point, this man Jesus. And it's all now being reconciled. Anything that's reconciled to God is being made new. So when we go out... As ministers of reconciliation, and we call people to be reconciled, guys, we are giving them the glorious hope that they can be made new. <laughs> we live in a culture that is desperate to have a new start. The problem is, all we're leading them to is external things. New diets, new this, and there's real value in these things, but ultimately they find that they're still the same old person. There is one way to be made new, to be reconciled to God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Everything now is being radically reborn. And then look at these last two verses, verse 21-22, that I want to share from this passage. Paul, listing out this cosmic reconciliation, right? Everything in heaven and earth now is being brought into fellowship with God. Paul then now brings the church into this. He's now going to tell the church at Colossae how they're grafted into this big plan of God's. And we need to see that God is in bringing us into this. So verse 21, he says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. So who are you holy and blameless and above reproach before? Not before your brother or your neighbor, but before God. The one who in Isaiah 6, the angelical creatures, the seraphim, hold their eyes out of his holiness. Jesus' blood is so sufficient over your life that you can go into that Isaiah 6 throne room picture and it says before him, he says, it's just like me. He's right with me. He's holy. This is what the blood has taken us who have been separated and it's brought us in. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful news for us. And so the idea is that we who were once cut off, alienated, separated, hostile, put with many other words here, now because of faith in Christ, we have been reconciled. Grace has set us free. We've been made alive in Christ. And now we get the privilege to go and declare that message to others that you too can be set free. You too can know your creator. You too can have new life in him. Which tells me evangelism, as I said before, is so much more than us trying to get more, more people to experience like a, a Sunday or something like that. Yes, we want to see people in the community. But evangelism, 
This tells me evangelism is we go out and we proclaim the message, Jesus is Lord, and the new creation is broken in. And it's here. And you can be made new as well. This, this gives me such hope because it says all things are being reconciled, which means there is not a sphere of existence on planet Earth that Jesus is not sovereign over, which means his blood was paid for and is claiming everything. There's not a geographical region. There's not a city. There's not a people group. There's not a race. There is nothing that is outside of what Jesus paid for. The hope is that everything is being reconciled in him. Amen? So this is the big picture that we're being brought in. Then we go out, we know the trajectory that all things are on. He's reconciled all in him. Now I want you to come to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Give you a sec to get there. We're actually... Um, we're going to close uh, when, we, when we finish out this morning. I really felt the Lord wants us to take communion together um, because we're really highlighting the blood and body of Jesus. And as I mentioned before, I want us to see this big picture that's happening. But if we're going to have a heart to want to see people reconciled, we've got to freshly receive his reconciliation this morning. Uh, actually, Caesar and I have been talking a lot about the gospel and just how we really feel in upcoming weeks just to keep, we got to like come back to the gospel. Um, it's so easy to start knowing everything you've had is by grace alone. And then over time, uh, just like our own flesh and works and the law like gets in there, right? So um, I really feel it's kind of even today where we're going to really be, I think, refreshed with the gospel that you are reconciled and restored to the Lord uh, through Jesus. So let's read. I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. Literally, Paul is about to like go so much deeper um, but it's the same, it's the same uh, flow that we just read. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And here's what Paul says. Verse 17 is one of the most popular verses. I'm going to say this before you again. Anytime you come to a verse that you have, like, grown up hearing, you have to, you have to train yourself to almost unlearn what you have, have received because, meaning, we come in and say, I know this, and we go right past it. But there, there's a reason why it's a popular verse, because it's so weighty, it's so beautiful, and we want to say, God, make me childlike this morning, that I would once again just be in awe of what you've done in my life, God, that, that, that rekindling, God, of when you first touched my life, and I said, my goodness, I was alienated, hostile, and cut off, and you, by your blood alone, I couldn't reach out far enough. I couldn't read enough scriptures. But you came to me when I was cut off, and you made a way for me to know you, God. Oh, I want others to experience that same thing. So let's read this with fresh language, guys. This is going to equip us with language when we go out to speak. Paul says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Okay, stop. He gives a condition. Everything I'm about to share, you have to be in Christ. So what does that mean? Does it mean like a tool in a toolbox? 
It doesn't mean like clothes in a closet. It's, it's a statement of fellowship, statement of union. It's a surrender and a belief in what Jesus has done for you. But here's the good news. If anyone is in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what's been going on. If you truly believe on the Lord and what he has done, what I'm about to read applies to you right now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <laughs> now, what was Jesus? The firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the pioneer of this new creation. Paul's giving us deeper language. He's saying now anyone who is in him who was the firstborn, you too are now a new creation. You too are being made new. He says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, the one thing I want to point out is when Paul says anyone in Christ is a new creation, I firmly believe that Paul is alluding to or making a reference to Revelation 21-22 where we have the new heaven, new earth. There's a new creation. Again, what he's saying is the glory of the age to come, it has broken into our now. And what he's saying is every rebirthing, every person in this room has been born again. Paul would say our lives is a microcosm or a small-scale version of what God is doing on a global level. He is making a new heaven, new earth. He's, he's literally birthing the cosmos, and our lives is a microcosm of what he's doing on that cosmic scale. That when someone sees the radical transformation of our lives, we're actually, without even saying anything, our lives are testifying to the, to the meta-narrative of what's working out right now behind the scenes. People see us and say, this is where it's all going. You see how we're being made new? Everything is being made new. Everything is changing. No matter what's happening in the world right now, we're not denying all those things, but I come under God's flow. <laughs> and this is that everything is being made new. Notice Paul's language again is that anyone who's in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to encourage you that if you are in Christ, again, you have not just simply learned information that you did not have before. You have not certainly just, just merely changed some bad habits, although that happens, you have not just acquired a new list of do's and don'ts. Paul is so taken back by what happens when we come into Christ that the only way he could explain it is you're a new species. <laughs> you're a new creation. You have so radically and pervasively changed. There's such a spiritual rebirthing that, that your whole inner being says, the only way I can describe you is you are new. A complete new creation. In fact, it's so mind-blowing to Paul that look at what he says in the middle of it. This really caught my attention. He then says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, what Paul is saying is, stop. <laughs> He's calling for our undivided attention. He's saying, do not glance over this. Don't get too familiar with this. Don't treat this casually. He says, I feel like Paul's saying this, be stunned. Be stunned. Oh, be very stunned. If you are in Christ, you are new. You are a new creation. I want to I put before you, I'll speak in my own life, but I, I feel like many that I've sat through and counseled with, I feel like many times we struggle as Christians because we have not fully grasped the far-reaching, profound implications that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And many of us have been unnecessarily enslaved to old things. I'm going to repeat that again. Many of us have been unnecessarily enslaved, meaning you didn't have to be, but we've been enslaved to old things that the scripture says has passed away because we have not given the adequate attention to what this verse is saying. 
And if we would actually sit and behold and think and give longing, love, and meditation that God has made you new, you're not the same person anymore. It's a finished work. It's passed away. We're in the process of now seeing what is already true unfold. There's, uh, there's an expression I remember. Um, I'm just thinking of this right now. It's, it's about a caterpillar and a butterfly. Some of you may have heard this. It's been coined butterfly theology, right? It's just a silly term, but there's a real powerful principle. This is actually true. If you take a caterpillar and go to a biologist and you ask it to run tests on the caterpillar and say, what is this? Do you know what it comes back with? The DNA would say, I know it looks like a caterpillar, but it has the DNA of a butterfly. And the point is, is that what is already true about it, it will eventually grow into. It doesn't need someone coming over and saying, be a butterfly, be a butterfly, be a butterfly. It will eventually begin to grow into what is already true. You are a new creation in Christ. And the more you sit on that and consider that, you are going to grow more and more in the revelation. You're going to, you're going to see the new life come out of you without having someone have to beat it out of you. <laughs> You don't have to braid the ears of the caterpillar. I don't know if they have ears or not, but however they listen or whatever it is. I want to encourage you. The enemy, this is real. The enemy would love nothing more than for you and I to believe that spiritual growth is a mere fantasy. He would love nothing more than for you and I to believe that our future is hopeless, bleak, and dark, and all we're going to have is endless repetitions of the same failures we've had in the past. And Paul would say, no, my friend, behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. Paul would say, behold that, sit on that. And what it does is it awakens awe over Jesus. If Jesus did not come and pioneer this, we would be stuck in the old humanity. There's this tension. We're living in the age to come, but also we're in the present age. So we see this like, we see like the old sinful nature. It's like lingering there, but we also see the new coming. What is the new? It's new covenant. It's new hope, new power, new life, new position with God, new standing. What are the old things? Anything attached to the sinful nature? It's, it's uh, you know, stubborn habits. <laughs> Guys, they're, they're passed away. <laughs> stubborn habits, it's deceptive values that we've held to. Now, we're, they're being exposed with the truth. Destructive relationships, we're being called out of that. Um, wrong-headed beliefs, our minds are being renewed. Everything is changing in your life right now. Process. I don't like that word. <laughs> but sometimes process is good. Everyone's in a process. And you are being formed. You're being formed into the, the finished work. It's done. God is faithful to where his destiny finished the work that he has started. You are a new creation. So my question is, what, what old things hold you down and keep you back? because they've passed away. <laughs> what old things hold you down? I believe if Paul was up here today and he was reading through this, he may, something, may say something like, have you not recognized? Have you failed to see that you are a child of God and not a child of Satan? Have you failed to recognize that you've been in Christ, adopted into the family of God, destined to co-reign with Christ in the kingdom of heaven? Have you failed to recognize that you've been reckoned righteous before the eyes of God, fully, freely, and forever forgiven of your sins? That have you failed to recognize that you have been sealed with the promise and power of the Holy Spirit? Behold, you are new. 
I'm excited. <laughs> I'm a new creation. Now look at this, verse 18. This just like warms my heart after all of that. Because what, what do I need to do? Look at verse 18. All this is from God. <laughs> when we get in the gospel, I was just reading in Galatians, uh, Judaizers wanted to uh, have the church be circumcised. And Paul says they do that because by doing it, they take the offense of the gospel out. Because there's actually an offensive part of the gospel, which is me and you, we can't do anything. The gospel is God-initiated, Christ-accomplished. All I can do is receive his finished work. All I can do is believe. And before we can taste the, the sweetness of grace, we must actually pass through its bitterness, which strips me of every strand of pride that wants to say, but God saved me for this reason, for this reason. God says, no, this is all my doing. All this is from God. His plan, his will, his heart. No one forced him. Guys, this is good news. No one made God do this. No one manipulated God. No one put a gun to his head. He says, this is my good pleasure that I want to reconcile back to me those who I have been separated from. Notice it says we're always being reconciled to God, not God to us, because God has never moved. We have moved. But God says the door has been opened up for you to come back. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and here it is, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So everyone here, when you are in Christ, the reason why you're in Christ and made new is because you've been reconciled to God through Christ. And now he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, which that tells me to be given it means it's a gift. It is not burdensome. It is not uh, a drag that we get to tell people <laughs> that they can be reconciled back to the Father. All of this is from God. Now, I want you to see verse 19, very important. Verse 19 is basically the definition of the ministry or the message of reconciliation. So he says again, all, verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You guys are in ministry right now. We're called to reconcile people by Jesus. And then verse 19, he says, that is, meaning here's what the ministry of reconciliation is. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he bookends it. Ministry of reconciliation, message, means the same thing. In between, he tells us what it is. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How? By not counting our trespasses against us. The message of reconciliation is essentially two objects that have been separated are brought back into harmony, but the way that has to happen is the barrier or the thing that caused the alienation must be dealt with. And God, by his own initiative, has obliterated the barrier that stood between us and him, which is namely sin. <laughs> this is his doing. The gospel did not start with me. My salvation did not start because one day I said, you know, God, I'd really like to be back in fellowship with you. God says it actually started with me because we were in darkness not even knowing which way to go. And God says, not that I all of a sudden the light came on and said, I want to get out of darkness. No, actually what happened is light came to me in my darkness and brought me out. The message of reconciliation is the barrier that stood between us and God, which is sin. It's been removed so that we can be brought back. 
How did God do that, though? Well, let's read again what it says. It says, not counting their trespasses against them. Say, you got to follow me because a, a lot of times I've gotten tripped up. And this is really encouraging. Psalm 103 says something very similar in verse 10. David says, he did not deal with me or us. He does not deal with us according to our sin. And then he says, he does not repay us according to our iniquity. So 2 Corinthians says, he didn't count our transgressions against us. David says, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquity. And if we're not careful, what that sounds like is the barrier of sin that God had removed. What he did was he simply quickly shoved it under a rug or he put it under a a bed or he threw it into a closet. He quickly closed it and said, let's just pretend that's never happened. Now, you may think that sounds like good news, but when you live with an understanding of that's how your sin's been dealt with, you're never sure if that closet's going to open back up. And many people live with an unstable gospel because they have not fully recognized what God has done with their sin. And so they're always wondering moment by moment when they don't feel as righteous, what, where do I stand now, God? Maybe one day that whole thing's going to bust open through the door. But the reason why he doesn't deal with us according to our sins is not because he didn't deal with our sin. It's because he dealt with Jesus according to our sins. The reason why he doesn't repay us according to our iniquity is because he's repaid Jesus according to our iniquity. The reason why he does not count our transgressions against us is not because he did not count them, but he took the fullness of them and he put them on Jesus so that me and you would know that we are fully and forever forgiven. Guys, you can open the closet. Guess why? There's nothing there. <laughs> That's how good it is. There's nothing there. You, it's been removed from your life, never to find you again. Salvation is not the mere temporary postponement of your sin. Salvation is the eradication of it. God wants you and I to know that we have peace with him. Over and over, you have peace with God. He doesn't want you living day by day saying, am I right? Am I not? Am I right? Am I not? No, no, no. He wants you to know that you have peace with him. God has removed it by putting it all on the sun. That is really good news. <laughs> all right, let's read verse, verse 20. He says this. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Wow. <laughs> we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We'll come back because that's mind-blowing. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <laughs> he, so he says, we are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is a diplomat. This is amazing. The one who stood in the gap and was crushed so that our barrier would be crushed, he now says, would you be my mouthpiece? How could we deny that man? This is the things I feel the Lord just really speaking to my heart. How would I ever deny that? I have the privilege to be his ambassador. And then he says this, God making his appeal through us. That, this verse drips with grace. For why is God making an appeal to us? Shouldn't man be appealing to God? Shouldn't man be begging what is an appeal? Appeal is to urge, to invite, to request. Uh, God is making an appeal. It's God is the one who's initiating saying, return. 
return. Who is he doing through? Through us. The church is the primary vessel to carry and bear the heart of the Father for his lost creation. I know God, he appears in dreams. We know he's doing that all over the world. We know all of creation testifies him. There's many ways that God does things, but his primary vessel to bear his heart is the church. Which means if we do not go as ambassadors, who is sharing the heart of God? God is saying, would you make my appeal? I want to, I want to, I, do, you, do you sense the heart of God through that? God making an appeal. The message, I'll say it again as I said earlier when we started, the message of reconciliation, what this is saying is not to man make peace with God. What this is saying is the message is God has made peace with you. So receive it by faith. That's all you can do is receive it by faith. And you will be made right. And then we come into the last verse, and we'll close right here. Verse 21. Again, one of these just weighty verses that are worthy of eternity. So let's read it slow. I'm reading out of the ESV. I know some translations are slightly different, but hopefully it's close enough to really track with me. Verse 21 says, For our sake. Okay, stop. Everything I'm about to say is for our benefit, for our advancement. Everything that Jesus did was not for him, not to prove to us that he's strong enough or able. He actually did it for us, for our sake. And what did he do? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So for our sake, the Father made the Son who knew no sin to be made sin, so that in him, meaning in Christ, we who were in sin might become the righteousness of God. This is one of the great summary statements of the gospel. God made him who knew no sin to be made sin so that we who were in sin could be made the righteousness of God. This is known as the glorious exchange. Our sin imputed to Christ. That's atonement. His righteousness imputed to us. That's justification. One of the things that amazes me here, it says he who knew no sin became sin. Knew no sin. What that's emphasizing is not the divinity of God, of Jesus. For we all know that Jesus is God, and we all know that God has no sin. But this is making an even more amazing description. For when it says, he who knew no sin became sin, it's actually emphasizing his humanity. Because if he would be a true substitute for man, he must become a man. We need man for man atonement. So when it says, he who knew no sin became sin, it means there was one who lived absolutely perfect every second of every day for our sake. And this man became the perfect substitute for us so that everything that we actually deserve was put on him and everything that he deserves was put on us. <laughs> that we would become the righteousness of God. Do you know there, there is a principle of sowing and reaping in the scriptures? Have you guys ever read this? Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Apply it to many different areas of your life. You could see finances, giftings, whatever it is. Whatever you sow, you reap. So one of the ways to see this is with our sinful nature. The problem is we were by, sin, by nature sin, which means everything that we did was sowing in sin. Everything we did that was out of alignment with God, and we were constantly reaping the effects of that, which means when Jesus came, he had to break the cycle of sowing and reaping in sin and create a new cycle of sowing and reaping in righteousness. How did he do that? By coming and saying, Father, everything that they've sowed, everything that should be reaping, put that full harvest on me. 
Father, everything that they've sowed, give me the fruitfulness of what they've sowed, and I'll bear it. So that in me, that cycle of reaping and sowing in, the, in, in, in sin breaks, and now as new creations, we can sow and reap in the Spirit. And reap and sow in righteousness. Amen?